In this episode, this is an example or an episode of the shared experience. I'm at the High Five Symposium and I have a collection of people here in the room with me today who have given me questions. Our job as a collective group is to answer those questions and hear some different perspectives. Let us start with, I'm gonna start with, what's the number one challenge in your workplace and life, and how can adventure education help solve that? So what's maybe a challenge that you have in your work or your life that you actually believe that adventure education can help solve? Hey, my name's Roberto, uh, I'm from Camp Hawkeye. So one of the challenges in life for me is the ability to be able to trust people, especially with my life on the ropes course, being able to understand the procedures that they're guiding me through and telling me, hey, this is how we set this up. This is what you're going to be doing and guiding me through what that's going to look like before I get up on a high ropes uh, course or a low ropes course. And just having that basic information does help you change your perspective, at least on how you would go through trusting that person and saying, okay, you know what? I feel confident that they are confident in the setup that they've done or the courses that they've set up. I'm more than comfortable to climb up on there. For example, for me, my first time getting on a high reps course, I double checked everything they did. And although it was my first year, I didn't know what they were talking about because again, I'm a new beginner. I don't know what they're talking about, but I then had to take a step back and say, hey, this is something that they do as a profession, um, and I should at least be able to trust enough to say, I'm going to get on this course, I'm going to get up there, and I'm going to be able to push through it and just uh, allow this person to have that moment of time and allow them to build that confidence level to say, hey, I've just belayed this person successfully up and down this course and allow them to also gain knowledge from doing so instead of saying, uh, you know what, I don't want to participate, I don't think it's safe. And my name is Chuck, and I'm from the other end of the world. I'm the retired end, and I'm around a lot of retired people and, and do services for uh, Office of the Aging, where I live. And I find that the number one problem, one of the, one of the problems is complacency and sitting back and absorbing and not giving. It's, I see adventure or play. I mean, I was an elementary physical educator, so play is a big part of my world. I think if we get people playing to whatever degree it is and interacting with other humans, um, we got a chance. Um, hello, my name is Hayden Brown. I'm, from so I'm a sophomore at Springfield College, and I work at Camp Arrowwood. For me, a struggle I've had in my life is injuries. My whole entire life, I've been a sports person. I wanted to play soccer in college, probably Maybe a professional, but that's a stretch. But injuries have like been really challenging for me. I tore my ACL the fourth game in my varsity season, and my career ended right there. <clears throat> I just had to find a new path and stuff like that. So I've always wanted to play sports and stuff. So I started to figure out ways to like do that instead. If a new way to do that was teaching it through kids and stuff like sports. And over time, like working at summer camps, I found new ways to do that and art, and then lifeguarding, and then I went into um, outdoor adventure, and now I'm able to like teach kids that way, and I've done it through um, Springfield College now at East Campus, and it's just a really good experience to like finally see like giving someone a moment 
my, my motto in life is give someone a moment, a moment you never had. So a lot of my moments have been taken away because of injuries, and I'm trying to give it back to them through education, through outdoors. How do you facilitate a group that struggles to listen? I taught elementary for years, and for years I talked with a loud voice and talked over 20 kids. And I discovered if I talked softer, if I gave directions once, and then I would give them, okay, if you didn't hear that, then share amongst yourselves what part of it you did hear and go from there. You could always try to talk louder, and you can't talk louder than, than kids, participants, or especially a lot of them. Soft speaking actually encourages listening. This was a, something that Carl Ronke taught me. In activities and facilitation, you yourself being a part of the adventure of the experience that is happening can encourage people to pay attention to what is happening. So if you say, this is the first, let's try something together. I've never tried this activity before. This could be pretty cool. And then bring them in close to you and add mystery and say, hey, come on, come on over, let's try this that it encourages in participation in a way that if you just named a name of activity, we're gonna play this. People don't care about the names of activities anyway. They don't know what that is. But just by adding that in, I found that groups who, are, who would have been more distractible are suddenly engaged in what you're saying. You've gotta make what you're saying interesting if you want people to listen to what you're saying. If your tone is monotone or your interest is not there as well, the activity, you don't like the activity, and then you're kind of just doing the motions. Hell, if I was being facilitated by that person, I wouldn't listen either. So you gotta to try to figure out what's gonna work for them in terms of listening. I would say as well, in terms of ropes course, high rope stuff, I'm very clear about like, people don't get to climb and stuff unless they can clearly listen to my safety parameters and instructions prior to. So if I do have talking, I just, I, I often wait. Play is addictive by nature, it draws people in. So sometimes just playing will get to a point of paying, people paying attention and listening anyway. Can you expand on the relationship between competence and confidence and how they transform as a new facilitator? So the, the concept, the consideration is this thing called the Dunning-Kruger effect that talks about this wave of growth through learning. Sometimes I'm training others or um, uh, we're considering hiring maybe a new facilitator or a trainer. I often will refer to this competence and confidence model. And I've tend, I tend to find that someone with high confidence and low competence is a potential risk. Because what there is there is there's this feeling that they know it all, but they actually can't, don't know it all. Right as I am right now, I'm feeling very confident in certain areas and very competent in other areas. And I teach this for a living, so I feel like that, that helps me. But when I started, I thought I knew a lot too. And now I can look back at myself then and be like, Wow, I, had, I knew like 10 activities and I did them every single time for every single group. And uh, even if they were flopping, I just like barreled through. Like you, you just end up flopping. I think that that's that point. You go from confidence to lower confidence, right? When you do enough programming and you realize like, okay, they, they all dislike that process or this one group didn't like this activity. What about this next time, right? So you will go through this kind of model organically it's not a point of like when are you ready i think you're ready when you start like you are going to be have to facilitate programming and you're going to go in with all of your authenticity and your own life experience and you're going to bring it to the table and then through the process you'll get better and better i think one of the areas that i think people struggle with a lot is like reflecting 
like the debrief, the processing side of any team development. So like you can lead an activity really well, but how do I draw out the learning? That tends to be the thing that newer facilitators struggle with. And there is a reality. I did a workshop, um, and, in, and there's going to be a podcast episode about this. It may already be out, called Reflecting Skills and Methods. That I tried to like reaffirm the idea that it's skill development, and so there's going to be you're going to have to spend some years getting better at it, and you have to accept that some of the stuff early on is not going to be great. But the key thing I think that is important with this is you never get to that point where you think like you know it all. I think once you get to that stage, once you forget, to, you stop being a learner, that's where it becomes risky. Not whether you have confidence or confidence now. For me, I, I spent a large, in fact, Chuck said this to me. I was, uh, Chuck used to do uh, a lot of contract work for us. He sits on the board of High Five, lots of experience in this field. And um, I said, hey, do you want to jump back in, into the contract trainer pool? And he obviously didn't want to do that since he's retired. But he said he'd spent 10 years in this, in this, he was the human characterization of imposter syndrome. And I think that that is like what most of us are all times experience. And I think that that, for me, is a really good place to be. Well, I did adventure for a lot of, lot of years from the late 70s on. And uh, I went, did a lot of workshops, one, two, three, five day. And I don't think I ever got ready to go to one where I didn't think like, had that little glimmer of like, okay, you can do this. Just just go do it. You know, it's just that, that little bit of unsuredness. I don't think I ever set up uh, an element. Definitely the zip line. Okay, this is you're gonna put somebody off the edge of this thing. You're like, have I have I checked it ten times? No, not that many. But it's that that little bit of self doubt. And I think that's I think that's stood me well. It's like because you're always looking to be better at what you should be good at. It's a good thing to be in that place because I think that makes you more likely to check. And before we were recording, Roro, you had mentioned like nervousness in this industry and nerves at height. And, and you made the comment that a trainer had said, like, actually, that's a great place to be as a facilitator, to be nervous, because I think that you are able to empathize with people. So I think all of this kind of goes into place. I think it's okay to be new and everyone has to start somewhere new. This is something I worked on for a while and I am only there now that I spent nine years while I was working here in imposter syndrome mode, feeling I had to prove myself only to get to nine years later and thinking like, oh, I've wasted energy on that. Only because now I've started to be a little bit more honest with the groups that I work with. So there doesn't have to be this whole performative say, like I've been doing this 20 years, therefore. Um, I think it's often more about our own insecurities that we do that than anyone actually caring. I think we prove ourselves by the way we do stuff, right? Like by the way we care. Students learn best from the teachers that care about them. Question for, for that real quick. You said not being afraid to have that imposter syndrome. Uh, so for me, like I used to struggle with being able to ask a question and not feel like, oh, I just asked a stupid question and now the room is looking at me like, oh, you just asked the dumbest question. You should know that by now. It does make it difficult sometimes to ask those questions when you're around uh, people that have been around for years where you ask that question. It's like, you should know this by now. How long have you been doing this? And that sometimes can be detrimental to, to some of us who are new learners. So I've felt like that before where then I'm like, okay, maybe I can ask the instructor when nobody's around instead of asking them right there in the moment. Like for you, I know you said that you struggled with imposter syndrome for a while. Like, how are you able to get over, over that? 
Yeah, that's a great question. And I think that it ties into something called creating a psychologically safe learning environment. So this is all language that I've been recently looking into and reading about. The reason we often feel the way you feel, and I felt that too, is because we're not in a psychologically safe learning environment. Psychologically safe learning environments are places where you can say anything without fear of repercussion. And it doesn't mean like you're going to get fired or whatever, or, but it can be like social at repercussions, right? Like, cause you don't want to look stupid. And I especially find this in level two training. So you just took a level two training. Level two trainings tend to pull a lot of people who have a lot of experience together. There's sometimes this like, just especially on the first couple of days, this hierarchical battle between people in terms of their experience. I often call it resuming me. Like as a trainer, I'll often get people who come to those trainings and the first thing they do to me is resume me. And that just means list all of their accomplishments. They'll say like, oh, I've been, you know, I've been doing this exercise in years and I did this and I worked at this place and I worked at Outward Bound, I did a Knowles train and oh yeah, when I climbed Everest, you know, like the, I don't know, they'll say all these things. And I think that it's, it is partly performative because it's like there is just embarrassment over wanting to not feel like you're there. And especially being a newer person in a level two, that can be a really challenging space to be. So the thing I would, I would mention is it's the responsibility of the trainer or the facilitator in that position to create a space where people can ask questions without fear of repercussion. Instead of saying, using evaluative language when receiving a question, so evaluative language means good, great, any descriptive term. So let's say, Roro, you ask me a question. If I just ask, answer your question, and then Alex asked me a question, like, oh, great question. Well, notice the difference between, I just answered yours, but when he asked his, I said, oh, great question. It's a very small thing again, and for some people, they may not even pick up on it, but for every single time someone asks me a question, I either, no evaluative, or every single question is the great question. So you try to create the opportunity. Your constant role model of these things opens up the door for more people to ask those questions. Now for me personally, how I got over imposter syndrome was I work for an organization that supports me. Now that is a really great place to be in. I have a training team who are alongside of me who no matter my level of skill have always built me up to say that I'm good at what I do. And so I think that working for an organization that can do that as well and finding peers that can do that is, is really, really important. Hey friends, I'm just jumping in real quick on this episode to let you know that we have some jobs available in the training team. The two roles that you'll find on our website are listed under trainer and adventure facilitator and also senior trainer and adventure educator. Both of those are involving the training team. Both of those are going to be working alongside myself and Lisa and Chris and Rich and Hannah and Kira all of whom you've heard on the podcast before. The trainer and adventure facilitator is more of an entry-level position. And so if you're really interested in this field and you've been operating on a challenge course for a couple of years and you're really excited to take that next step into training, then that would be the opportunity for you. The senior trainer and adventure educator is for someone who's been in the industry for quite some time and has also had some training experience, preferably at another professional vendor member. So if you're listening to this and you work for a PVM and you'd be interested in working at High Five, I encourage you to check out that position as well. I could go into the details around like uh, salary ranges and all that kind of stuff. You can find those in the link in the description of this episode. So I'm going to put the link in there with all the information about this position. 
including the salary range, which is critical and important in your decision making. But I wanted to share the why, as I've often described in this, rather than the what, the why of why you might want to work for High Five and in the training team. I'm coming up on my 10th year working at High Five. The organization is full of experts in the field, both in the construction side of things, but also the facilitation side of things. And I've had the pleasure and opportunity to be able to grow and learn from all of those people around me. There are constant opportunities for professional development, both internally and externally, going to conferences and the like. And I have found in the last nine, 10 years, the growth that I've had as a facilitator, as a challenge course operator, as a trainer, have exponentially grown in a way that wouldn't have I wouldn't have had had I not have ended up working for an organization like High Five. So if you're interested, then please check out the description. And if you have any questions, you want to ask me anything specifically as you read the description and you're still curious, then uh, message me. If you're on Instagram, you can direct message me there at Vertical Playpen, or you can email me pbrown at highfiveadventure.org. That is my work email, pbrown at highfiveadventure.org. All right, thanks everyone, and let's get back to the episode. How do you approach someone who is in a higher position, but you do not agree with them? What's people's approaches to speaking to a supervisor who you disagree with? One of the things that I've started working on is not thinking of, oh, well, if I say this to this person, they're going to disagree. Okay, well, it's okay to have a disagreement. That's something that people forget nowadays, is that you can have a disagreement with somebody and still have a respectable conversation. So it doesn't necessarily need to be oh, I don't like what you said to me. Well, I don't like what you're saying to me now. Well, then we're at an impasse and we can't come to an agreement. It's okay to have those disagreements because whether one of you wants to or not, you're going to be learning from it. So I always say, listen, most of those higher-ups are also there to support you. So if they're not supporting you, then what are they doing? Because that's what their position there is for. If they want their company to grow, they're going to need to be able to listen to your opinion too because that matters. So don't be afraid to walk up to that person and say, hey, I understand we're in two different positions, but this is something that I think and I know helps me go through this position, and this is something that I've read that has helped others, and I want to try this. You know, when we talk about ranking, I try to pose questions. Like, if there's something that I might not agree with or I'm not sure about, I always I pose it in a question form, like, why are you doing it this way versus that way? What, you know, is there any uh, ambiguity to exactly how this is supposed to be done or is it set and straight? So anytime I, I, I deal with people in all facets, this is more in general, I try to pose questions. It might be something that'll be thought provoking for someone, you know, even if they are above you, maybe they don't have that viewpoint. So that's how I do it. There's two sides to every single thing. And, you know, we just... From our viewpoint, we might not see them all. So that's how I approach to, to avoid confrontation and hopefully learn more. Awesome. Thank you for being here and, and answering questions and sharing your voice. I've really appreciated it. And we've covered a, a good range of topics here, all the way from uh, how to facilitate a group that struggles to listen, 
all the way into dealing with someone who's a higher up and you disagree with. So thank you for listening. Once again, if you liked this episode, please share it with all of your friends. Rate, review, subscribe, all the things that I tell you to do every time. Hopefully you're doing them by now. And go to Instagram at Vertical Playpen and you can interact with me and you could send in your own questions and I will answer them in a future episode. All right, thanks everyone. Thanks for listening to Vertical Playpen. And then what about, thanks for listening to High Fives Podcast. Can you do it? Okay, try Thanks for giving us a good class, guys. <laughs>